Welcome to the Innate Flow Podcast. My name is Nate Baumgartner, and you are tuned in to a vibration in the time-space continuum, communicating the wisdom and reflections direct from the mouths of authentic truth-seekers and spiritual warriors. Drop in with us as we uncover how we can begin healing our collective consciousness in a holistic and intuitive way, awakening the sleeping lions one breath at a time. So sit back, quiet the mind, and open the heart as we integrate the here and now. I am here with my brother, Taylor Morgan. I had the opportunity to connect with Taylor back in, I believe it was March, when we had the Strong Coach Summit. And for those who have yet to encounter Taylor in person, he is a unit. 200 pounds, 6, maybe 7% body fat big beard and he was intimidating to me as I imagine he is to many men in particular and I had some judgments of Taylor coming into engaging with him and meeting with him and sharing space with him in that time in those four days that we spent together in Austin and I, I judged him as a meathead I judged him as, you know, someone who was shallow and just focused on his physical presentation. And in getting to know him over the past week, he is so much deeper and profound and connected than I had even begun to give him credit for. So it is an honor to connect with him today and to speak on all of this, to speak on his life, to speak on his mission, to speak on his dream. And I'm very grateful for him. Welcome to the Innate Flow Mm. podcast, Taylor Morgan. Nate, thank you. Thank you for having me and thank you for bringing that to my attention. Thank you for, for letting me know that's, that was your first perception of me and, and the judgments because I've, I've gotten that before I've I've had men come up to me one instance that I can remember in particular two actually one at the no one at uh, Road to Union which was an Aubrey Marcus fit for service event a guy came up to me and uh, expressed uh, th- the same thing and then one at a Dr. Joe Dispenza advanced week-long meditation uh, it was him and his girlfriend, and he came up to me, uh, knocked on my hotel room door. Uh, he said, hey, can I talk with you? And I knew it was going to be something serious. I was like, absolutely, come on in. And so we sat down, and he got vulnerable, vulnerable with me. He said, hey, I've, I've been in my head about this. I've been picking up some vibes with, with you and my, my girlfriend, and I just want to 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 get things straight I, I want to hear your your perspective on this his perception of me was that I was eyeing his girlfriend you know in like trying to I don't know take her or, or something because he he saw that he, he was intimidated in some way and I was first off thank you for bringing this to my attention that was not my intention in the slightest. What I was observing and admiring 
in you and your girlfriend's relationship was the actual love and connection that you guys are experiencing together. And I very much admire that because at the time I had just gotten out of a relationship and I was like, when I get into my next relationship, that is the type of love that I'm looking for. And so I was, you know, looking at his girlfriend and at him in situations together. And to a lot of men that can seem like, you know, I, I wanted his girlfriend, right? When in reality, I was just admiring the love and connection that, that they had for each other and that I was inspired by that to create that myself. So, yeah, I've gotten that a lot, you know, intimidating, um, whatever, and, and that is absolutely not the case. So so thank you for, for bringing that to my attention. And that is the healing power of vulnerability mm. is once you let it come to light and be seen, there is so much healing and connection that can happen because you're speaking a fundamental truth yep. that is very subjective. And I'm curious, as you went through growing up, and we can talk about you know your process and your coming to the man that you are right now, I imagine the level of vulnerability that you have in the moment was not always there. And I'm curious what your path to finding that mm. yeah I did used to be that meathead who cared very much about his external appearance and how other people judged him and and there was a sense of pleasure in being intimidating and being that that presence which I still do enjoy I still do uh, enjoy being not necessarily intimidating, but in a sense, because I know that my intention behind it now is 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 for good, right? Um, so I do enjoy being that that rock, that kind of grounding presence that is intimidating to some. Um, and it didn't used to be like that. I, I did absolutely used to be this, you know, macho man when in reality it was not macho at all I you know it was very much ego driven and uh, in the past yeah I, I would have been looking at somebody's girlfriend as you know I'm gonna try to take that from him and it's like now it's the complete opposite so right? I'd love to hear your journey of becoming that ego driven <laughs> macho man where you grew up mm. how you grew up what mm. your childhood was like that led to that yeah interesting um this is really the first time that i've thought about that uh i imagine it started because i was always small i was always the skinny kid in high school um i think my senior year i was about i was the height i am now six feet but weighed 170 pounds so about 30 pounds less than i am now and I got tired of it. I got tired of, not that I was bullied, but I was, I allowed myself to be kind of pushed around and I wanted to to stop that from happening. Um, and I, I quit playing football my junior year because I was too small and too weak in my own perception. I, I, I didn't like uh, having other men, you know, be stronger than me and be able to, to physically dominate me and because at the time in high school you know it's everybody's you know doing it for their own ego right and so my ego was hurt 
And so after high school, I decided enough of this. I spent the next three months gaining 30 pounds, just working out like crazy, eating everything that I could to really externalize my ego and uh, create this like shield really to be this intimidating person to where I don't have to deal with that anymore because of my physical appearance, that's less likely to happen, right? So that was like my guard that I put up. And then that was even further ingrained in the Marine Corps, right? Very ego-driven culture. Uh, you're not going to survive if you're timid and, you know, uh, allow yourself to, to be manipulated. You got to stand up for yourself. I really want to get into your Marine Corps service yeah. and would love to delve into what your relationship with your father was like, as that is a large aspect of you know how our ego develops in wanting to make our father proud based on the conditional aspects that he values. Yeah, I, I have always had and currently have a really good relationship with my father. I don't think any of this stems from my father. Okay. I, I never felt the need to do anything to please him in any way or to live up to his standard. Not at all. He He's very loving. He always supported me in whatever decision that I had. So when I quit football, he made it clear that he wanted me to play but when I made the decision, that was the end of it. Okay. There was no, there was no resentment. There was no, you should be doing this. There's, there was no, I'm not proud of you anymore. It was, okay, that's your decision. Fine. I still love you. You know, that, so I, I don't think that stems from my relationship with my father at all. I, I, I love him. He's extremely loving and I'm, I'm very fortunate to have grown up in that sort of supportive environment because as I talk with other people that seems to be a very rare case where it's conditional love mm -hmm. and conditional support uh, so I'm I'm grateful that that was not the case for me was was he a very like physically strong presence um not like physically muscular wise okay. but uh, I've, I've heard my mom say this like he and I both take up a lot of space mm -hmm. we're very like you know spread out and we're comfortable i like to to command the room right i like to walk into a room and like i said be that grounding presence which to some can feel intimidating as if i'm trying to you know be above or better than everybody else which is absolutely not the case i like to to see myself as this safe person who if there was, if chaos ensued, that I would be the calm, collected one that could handle the situation. So it's similar in his case. He's he's he commands a room, not in an uh, like an assertive or dominant way, but he's he is that very uh, grounding and uh, um, enlightening presence he's very good at relationships and communication he can spark up a conversation with anybody and i don't want to say everybody but everybody who i've seen him interact with loves him he's been a general manager at uh, country clubs for the past 35 years so 
the, the his communication skills are tremendous and his conflict management is is superb so he does have that presence but it's not in the intimidating sense it's the calming sense so i guess i'm kind of opposite in him with that regard which is something that i'm working on is being this physical presence but also allowing people to to see that i'm i'm safe like i'm not going to hurt you right unless you give me a reason to which yeah let's go but um most situations that's not the case especially here right i like i i i want to to be more inviting because i know that i have this uh sort of resting bitch face to where it can seem like i'm very serious all the time and um so yeah i'm i'm working on smiling more and opening up i i see that learned aspect in you so you're in junior year, you quit football and you feel like having been bullied, uh, an inferiority complex or feeling like you are weak and want to become strong. I felt like I didn't fit in. I felt, felt like, like I wasn't one of the cool okay. kids the and kids. I really wanted to be one of the cool kids. I really wanted to be accepted and invited to the parties. Um, I tried really hard to fit in with what I considered to be the cool kids in high school um so what did that manifest as in being out of alignment with who you really were what did you do to to cope with that yeah i i didn't really know myself mm-hmm. so i was just going along with and again trying to fit in with what i thought was cool you know being invited to parties i really thought that was like if you get invited to parties that you are like that's your sense of self-worth at the time in high school this was my thought process uh so one time i actually uh threw a party at my house um what ended up not being a party so my parents were gone i i sent out this text hey party at my place and then nobody showed up my best friend came over and so i I prepped the whole house like i had everything ready sent out the text Nobody showed up. My best friend showed up and, and we just kind of hung out. And that was like, it was, it was disappointing to me, you know, like, it's like, oh, like that sucked, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, but I, I tried to hide it. Like I tried, oh, oh, it's okay. You know, whatever. Um, so yeah, that, that, um, me always trying to fit in, uh, with, with the cool kids. And part of that was, you know, not being pushed around. Yeah, and it wasn't until later that I I started to realize I I don't want to fit in with that crowd. Like, I look at where they are now, and I'm glad I wasn't accepted or... uh, Not that I wasn't accepted, but that I didn't really fit in with them. Because I look at where they all all are now, and I don't want any part of that. Right? So, I imagine that led to, as a part of your decision-making process, for joining the Marine Corps. Yes. Yeah. I imagine that if if I would have been one of the cool kids, I would have gone a a completely different direction. I probably would have gone to college. I probably would have, you know, um, partied even harder. So, instead of that, I joined the Marine Corps because, um, well, not because of, but thinking back to it now, this was like, okay, nobody else is doing this. I'm just going to go off and and do this on my own. Nobody else 
that I was friends with in high school really had any interest in, in joining the Marine Corps. So for me, that was like the ultimate, like, you think you can push me around? Like, I'm, I'm going to fucking be a Marine, see what happens then. Uh, but that's not why I joined the Marine Corps. I, I joined the Marine Corps because I knew that I wanted to serve. Uh, and my serving has changed throughout the course. But uh, growing up, watching war movies and, you know, playing with army guys like that was always a thing for me is it was either nature or playing with army guys that those were like my two things uh and baseball which my dad was a professional baseball player and it was growing up it was either become a professional baseball player or join the military becoming a professional baseball player was never a real option because up until very recently i had always been in the mindset of doing the bare minimum to get by so high school was a game for me. It was a joke. Like I figured out how to be smart enough to get A's and B's and to just skate through, right? Not, not really learning anything. Um, same thing in baseball. Like I could have, I had the opportunity to be so much better with my dad, who was a wealth of knowledge. I just didn't put in the work to make it happen. So I joined the Marine Corps um, because in all these movies, I... I that's the only time that I had emotion. That's the only time that I really felt like this deep... Uh, Sense of connection and pride. Yes. I was like, nobody else should have to go fight and die for me to live the life that I want to live, for my freedom. I will go sacrifice myself so that other people can live their lives. So you're 18 years old at this point. Yeah. Um, and I had been thinking about this since like 16, 17. Okay. Um, and so I was willing to to give up my life. Like that's why I wanted to go. I wanted to to serve uh, the United States of America, and I also wanted to kill people. To be quite honest, I want not just people, but I wanted to kill the bad people who were doing bad things to good people. Um, so that's why I joined. Um. So yeah, you, let, we you, can take it from you. There. Get into the Marine Corps. Uh -huh. What does that experience feel like? I, I chose the Marine Corps because they were what I thought were the best of the best. Okay. I did research on the branches. Um, Marine Corps seemed to be the most tough. I, I thought going into it that it was like a bunch of fucking super soldiers. You know, strong. Um, you know, able to handle anything. Capable. Uh, so I joined, and I found out that that was not the case. Uh, I noticed that anybody, maybe not anybody, but most people can pass boot camp. I was in boot camp with some other boys who was like, how are you even doing this? And they, they just made it not easy, but they made sure that you pass because they don't want to kick anybody out because... I don't know, money-wise, that would probably be hard to, to get other people to, to come in. So they just wanted everybody, essentially. Um, and so then when I got to my unit, I was excited because I got there when they were still on deployment. And so I was the only one there for a little bit. And so I got to, to form a relationship with some of the other people who were there who were higher ranking. And I thought that's how the relationships would be when everybody came back. So... Uh, Typically in the military, when somebody is higher ranked than you, you 
you don't have a, a really strong relationship with them. Um, these guys who were back for, or who didn't go on deployment, who were back, I was able to form this kind of friendship with them, even though they were higher ranking. So I thought that's how it was going to be when everybody came back. I thought it was going to be this uh, mutual respect and camaraderie and actual leadership, right? Uh, and then when everybody got back, I was all excited to meet my new team members and it was the exact opposite. It was like, you're new, you're boot is what it's called, the term. And from that point, it was just uh, like mental games, like torment essentially. Like uh, they came back, their thought process was, you didn't go on this deployment, you were not as good as we are, we are now going to haze you, uh, you know, physically and mentally to uh, prepare you I don't know what they were preparing for. It, it really what I think about it now is it's their ego asserting their dominance simply because they can because they're higher ranked and that they went on a deployment. So that makes them better than me, right? So I experienced a lack of leadership in the Marine Corps. It was more uh, of a dictatorship and tyrannical, more do as I say because I say so, just because I'm in the position of power, oftentimes for no legitimate reason whatsoever. They just wanted to make us do stuff for the sake of doing stuff. So yeah. at this point, are you getting sucked into the mindset of it, or are you no. starting to rebel? I realized it? very quickly that this is not anything that I want to be a part of. So I was always the uh, the rebellious guy in, in in the unit who would do things reluctantly. Only because if I didn't, I would be punished, right? It would it would be worse for me. Um, so yeah, I, I realized that this was not the leadership that I had in mind. And I was more physically capable than a lot of the guys in the unit. And so again, when I thought, when I joined the Marine Corps, I thought everybody was going to be these fucking badass leaders. Like, let's fucking do this together. Let's, you know... Um, that was not how it was. So I was disappointed. I was. Uh, I kept looking for ways to transfer to a different unit or to do something more challenging. So uh, I, I joined as a machine gunner. That was my job. And my experience is, of course, my experience. There's a whole bunch of different experiences where, of course, there's good leaders in the Marine Corps, right? This was just not my experience. Uh, so I was looking for ways out. I was... I made some friendships with uh, people who, my peers, other new guys, but I hated everybody else who was above me, who had gone on that deployment. So they just treated us like shit. Um, I imagine that the system that these leaders, quote unquote, are trained in is not conducive to actual leadership because of how hierarchical it is and there is an intrinsic implication that you are by definition a leader and therefore do not necessarily need to develop what are true leadership qualities. Leadership is is taught uh, only once you come to a leadership position. Mm -hmm. So once you reach this certain rank, then you're taught a little bit about leadership. Uh, and even then... I don't think it's true leadership because there's not this talk on masculinity and the ego is not really addressed. So it's more 
ego-driven leadership. And that's why I think a lot of people who stay in the Marine Corps, who reach the higher ranks, they were, I'm projecting, I could be completely wrong. I know there are some cases like this, but a lot of people who reach the higher ranks in the Marine Corps were the kids in high school who got bullied and picked on, and now is their chance. Often they're they're smaller guys, you know, shorter, um, and now they have the chance to move up in the ranks and show their power. Because they know how to play the politics. Yes, they played into the game, and I, I never played into the game. I, I never have, and I never will. Same thing now with, you know, the pandemic, the whole mask thing. I got arrested for not wearing a mask. I am not going to play into the game. I can see through the bullshit. So it was the same thing in the Marine Corps. Which we will 100% get into okay. <laughs> the, the pandemic experience. And you're in the Marine Corps. Did you end up getting deployed at all? Yeah, I, I got deployed to Okinawa, Japan. Okay. It's a little island off the coast. Uh, beautiful place. The nature uh, is beautiful there. I got my advanced scuba certification there. Water is, is pristine. Oh, man. Um yeah, so I deployed to Okinawa and Korea as well. And then I ended up breaking my ankle before my next deployment. Um, and it's important to to talk about this. Uh, I said I was always trying to look for a way out, whether that's transfer to a new unit or what I was really interested in. When I was deployed in Okinawa, I saw these posters to try out for the sniper, the scout sniper screener. Uh, which if you passed that and they accepted you, you were now in the scout sniper platoon, which called to me. I was like, I want to do that. This sounds challenging. This These group of men seem like more leaders, like they have it together. Uh, I, I want to transfer to that. So I signed up for the sniper screener. It's essentially uh, five days of, of suck, <laughs> of mental games, physical tests, um, you know, they're seeing if you have what it takes to, to be a scout sniper. And so constant physical movement, very little sleep. Um, you know, some nights even like just two hours of sleep and then you got to wake up at 2 a.m. to create this plan to go rescue this downed pilot from a helicopter crash and then bring him back, you know, all on, you know, brain fog, lack of sleep, you know, minimal food, exhausted, so and they know that they they just want to see if you have what it takes, and um, so this was my first major f- failure. So about fifty of us began, and it started at I think it was like zero four or zero five on Monday morning. You know, show up with the full gear list, and so I was ready. I got there early, and there were guys. So. 5 a.m. or whatever time it was hit, there were still guys uh, walking and some running to come to come in to be a part of it. And as soon as the, the clock struck five, the instructors were like, anybody who was coming in, they're like, no, turn around, go back. You weren't here on time, you're gone. We don't care, go away. So I was like, okay, that's how this week is gonna go. Got it, good. Uh, so about 50 of us started at the end of the five days, there were 11 of us that had passed because this was quit at any time. Like it's, it's up to you, you know, if you want out, you can be out. And so there were 11 of us who made it. I was the only one who, and this was the most physically 
challenging thing that I had done and that I imagine I will ever do. Um, you know, minus some crazy natural disaster, right? Like if shit hits the fan, then that will be similar. But uh, I was the only one out of the 11 who passed the full week who did not get accepted into the platoon. And that was devastating for me because I just went through these five days of suck and now you're telling me that I don't have what it takes to join my friends who I formed really close relationships with in the sniper platoon. And they told me the reason why is that I didn't work well with others. So I was so focused on myself getting through it. I could handle all the physical demands. I knew that I could get through it, but I wasn't doing enough to help my other brothers get through it. Even though at the time, in my mind, I was. Like a guy passed out and I, I picked him up and carried him the rest of the way. So for me, that was like, okay, I'm doing my part, right? But clearly, in their mind, in my other peers' mind, because it was self-evaluation and whatever, uh, they evaluated me as I didn't work well with others. I was too focused on myself. So what I learned from that is it's not about me. I have to bring others with me, right? So that's that's what I learned from that. Um, so you internalized that as like this is something that I have an opportunity to do more of? It, it took me a while. Okay. It was an instant. For a few days, I was I was down in the dumps. I was like, this was my shot to get out of this life that I ultimately hated. I was depressed in the Marine Corps, in my unit. I, getting on the plane from, like when I was on leave, when I would go home to stay with family and then getting on the plane to fly back to base, I was like, I was empty. It sucked. And I, I, I never wanted to experience that feeling again. So this was my shot to go into something different. And I didn't make it. So it's like, okay, well, back to the drawing board. So it took me a few days, and then I realized, um, okay, I'll, I'll use this as a learning experience. So when I was between the ages of 12 and 14, had the goal of becoming a Navy SEAL. I was reading Soldier of Fortune, glamorized by all the guns mm -hmm. and the mission and all of that. And when I got into high school, it was a very liberal high school, and I started looking at the various aspects of U.S. foreign policy and realizing that ultimately I would have ended up just being a tool being used for a specific purpose that was not mine. Yeah. I'm curious, was there a point in your service that you began to analyze things in that way of seeing the bigger picture? No, not okay. while I was in. Right. I have since realized that. Um yeah, now I understand, not fully understand, but I see that there's some, you know, ulterior motives to why we are going to war. And yeah, I no longer want to be a part of that. We get, we could get into the conversation around killing, like whether death is necessary. I still believe that death, that killing is sometimes the best option. In the perfect world, I imagine that all things can be healed through love. And from what I've heard, I've not experienced this, but when, when you go to the Middle East and you see what like the Taliban, for example, are doing to other human beings, 
there's really no rationalizing with them because they believe that what they are doing is right. So to get into their heads and talk about love for all beings and all things is just like, it's like saying the earth is flat, you know, which some people believe and I don't know, maybe, who knows, who knows, sure. but it, to them, you know, trying to convince them and trying to teach them these ways, it's like it, it just wouldn't click for them. So in lieu of taking the time, energy and resources for that, I think eliminating those people is the more realistic option. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'll, I'll avoid a, a conversation on intervention and foreign policy. I agree with you to the degree that those people are operating a very oppressive system and the, the natural inclination of a person is to to seek a level of autonomy and freedom that they are at present subjugating in Afghanistan in particular, the, uh, the Taliban. Um, so you come into this experience coming out of the, the sniper school um, where you're, you pass it and you're still um, rejected from it. Talk me through the the last years of your service as a Marine. <clears throat> yeah, so I, I came back from that deployment and, you know, st- still <laughs> very uh, depressed, um, not liking life at all, except the weekends. You know, the weekends were fun uh, where I would go out and drink almost every single weekend, you know, just numbing the pain and the stress of the work week trying to forget everything and um, really just pretend that I wasn't a Marine. I would let my hair grow out as much as possible. I would stop shaving sometimes on Thursday, which in the military, or at least in the Marine Corps, you have to shave every day. Uh, you have to be you know, clean, haircut, clean shaven. I would push that to the limit. So I would stop shaving sometimes on like Thursday or Friday and try to avoid people as much as possible. So on Saturday, I would have uh, you know, more hair grown out and a, a slight stubble so people wouldn't see me as a Marine, right? Um, so this came to a culmination when I was at a, a party and I was blackout drunk as usual. And this is the first time that I had uh, done a, uh, or that I had smoked weed. I had done, I hit my friend's weed vape pen. This is the first time that I had done that. So I was crossfaded and it was like 2 a.m. And as usual, I tried to uh, grab my keys and and drive home. Uh, Thankfully, I was with good friends who tried to prevent me from that. But of course, my ego was so big at that point that I just, I basically said, fuck you and found a way to to get around it and uh, grab my keys and tried to walk back to my car to drive home. So, and I was shoeless too. Uh, So I started walking back to my car and I just had the idea that I wanted to climb houses. And I was in this nice, um, we rented a nice beach house, like on the beach in San Clemente, California, rows of super nice beach houses. I was like, I want to climb these houses. So I I did. I started scaling up the walls and I, I came to this one house where their bathroom window was open. So I went in. It's like, we're going on an adventure. Let's go on an adventure. 
So I went into this person's house. I'm now in their bathroom. I walk out the bathroom, look to my right up a stairwell to like the third story. And there's a dog sitting up at the top. The dog sees me, doesn't make a noise. I close the door, continue my exploration. I make it into a girl's room. Uh, so there's a, there's a girl sleeping in there. I would guess late teens. And I'm just standing there like, uh, I don't, I wasn't planning on encountering anybody. Like, what do I do? And in that time that I'm thinking, what's my next move? She wakes up and she's like, who are you? Like very calm. Like, who, who are you? Like rubbing the, you know, sleep out of her eyes, just waking up. She probably thinks she's in a dream. It's like, I'm Taylor. We, we met at a party. She's like, when? I was like, tonight. She's like, nope, didn't go to a party tonight. I was like, oh, it was last night. She's like, nope, I don't know who you are. I'm going to call the cops. I said, that's okay. I'll just leave. So I hopped out the bathroom window, started booking it back to my car. And uh, I was like, you know what? That was really weird. I'm going to go back and apologize to her. Except this time I'm, I'm going to do it via rooftop. So now I climb onto the rooftops of these beach houses and started jumping from rooftop to rooftop. 2.30 a.m., shingles shattering, you know, sliding down. People inside probably think it's like a meteor shower. And at this point, I, I think I'm living a dream. Like, I'm indestructible. I can just do whatever I want. So I come to this one gap that was bigger than all the other gaps. And so I thought I'm in a dream. Okay, let's do it. So I made the jump to the other side. But when I landed, there was this loud pop. So that literally and figuratively sobered me up. I was like, okay, I'm in fact not in a dream. I did something to my ankle. This adventure is over. So I lowered myself back down to their backyard, walked out the gate, hobbled the rest of the way back to my car, woke up about 7 a.m., drove back to base with my left foot because my right foot was fucked. Uh, come to find out that my ankle was broken, so I missed my second deployment. This was my other wake-up call. It was like, this was really what started my new life. Um, I didn't like the path I was on. Where was your second deployment to? To the Middle East. Okay. Uh, all like Africa and kind of all around. So um, that would have been your first seeing active combat. Not combat. No. It wasn't. Okay. It wasn't a combat deployment. It had the potential gotcha. to be a combative deployment. Uh, so I was devastated that I wouldn't be there to support my brothers if anything did happen. So that it really was a wake up call. It sobered me up. I after that I went almost two years sober, no drinking at all, and I completely changed my life around. I started reading books. Up until that point, I never read a single book. I hated it. Started listening to educational podcasts. Started taking online college courses. Um, started working out even more because now with the cast on my leg, I was like, if I can't walk on my feet, I'm going to learn to walk on my hands. So I taught myself how to handstand walk um, and really diving into the personal development world because I was like, I am not going to live this this depressive lifestyle, not doing anything with my life, drinking, playing video games, wasting my life away. So that was really the, the major turning point that really woke me up to what is possible. So when did you exit the Marines? Uh, got out of the Marine Corps in 2018. And then I, at this point, I was a CrossFit coach. So then my service uh, transitioned from wanting to serve the country to serving uh, people in, you know, 
creating physical fitness for themselves and losing weight, whatever it was. So I thought that I wanted to become a CrossFit affiliate to own my own CrossFit gym and, and be a CrossFit coach. Uh, so then I ended up being recruited to be uh, the head coach of the biggest CrossFit gym in Saudi Arabia. This was in 2019. And so I went over there. I, I took the position because they paid me more money. I had another offer in the Cayman Islands to go coach there, which they flew me out, showed me the gym. I coached there. It was an amazing community, great gym, beautiful beaches. I would have absolutely loved that experience much more, but they paid me less. And at this point, my thought process was, I just got out of the Marine Corps, hating life, getting paid shit. I can take this position in Saudi Arabia, which I knew I wouldn't like, for more money. That was my thought process. I could suffer again for more money. I found out very quickly that was not the case. I don't give a shit about the money if I'm not fulfilled. And um, they wouldn't let me do my job as a head coach. Like The first thing I did when I got there was, okay, we need to create core values. We need to understand like who it is that we serve and why we're doing it. So I got everybody on board. We created these core values. And then the management uh, kind of neglected those core values. The Saudi culture is very much in it for themselves, in it for, for money and status. So they just wanted to bring in as much money as possible, not really focusing on the core values. So I was like, I don't want to be a part of that. Uh, I don't want to be head coach. I don't care about that title. If we're not going to live by these values that we all decided were the direction that we're going. On top of that, the culture in general is the opposite of how I wanted to live. Very unhealthy, you know, smoking cigarettes and just flicking them on the street, like no regard for the environment. There's there's trash everywhere, stray cats laying dead in the street, uh, eating shitty food, drinking coffee all day long, horrible sleep schedule, super stressed out. Uh, and slavery was just outlawed there in 1992 or 1996, something like that. And they still have what are really indentured servants. These poor guys from Malaysia and Singapore that uh, they take their visas when they arrive. So they really have no choice. And they live in these little outhouse looking huts outside of these gigantic, elegant mansions. And then in the gym, they had these cleaners who the, uh, the athletes would treat as their servants. Like the athletes would be in the middle of a class that I'm teaching and then they would command one of the cleaners like hey go get my water and i would tell them like no that is not what they're there for they're here to clean and to do their job you're here in a workout if you want your water you go get your water and so i just didn't want to be a part of that um and so this was when in my spare time which was minimal because at the time i was still trained to be a competitive crossfit athlete so it, my schedule was wake up eat train for four hours coach for four hours sleep that was it. I didn't have any interest in going out and exploring or experiencing the Saudi culture, whatever they had. I wasn't interested in that. Um, and the nature there was was not the nature that I wanted. So I just I was in my own little world. So this is when I started uh, developing my brand, the Captain's Lifestyle. I had a podcast before that and did like personalized fitness coaching, but I wanted to take it to the next level because I started to realize that clients would come up and ask me. I've been coming into the gym for a year now. Why am I not seeing results? I'd say, how is your sleep? How is your stress? Um, um, what is your diet like? 
their answers would always be the same. I'm sleep. I'm lucky if I sleep six, seven hours. My I'm super stressed out from work, my relationship, whatever. My diet is pretty good. Anybody who says their diet is pretty good, it's shit. Uh, and so I would tell them about how important sleep is and reducing the stress and inflammation and all these things and mindset. And they just wanted to learn how to do pull-ups faster. This is not it. So I created the captain's lifestyle to show that you can't just spend one hour in the gym and expect that to offset the other 23 hours of a bad lifestyle. Like fitness is an infinitesimally small portion of what it is to live a fulfilling life. So that's what I started working on creating there. And then I quit, came back at the end of 2019 and then started the captain's lifestyle, like got my first clients beginning of 2020. So what I'm hearing in that is being in this space that was very oppressive. I imagine that you perceive in them working on defining core values within the gym and finding that, you know, as a motivator, money is not one of your core values. So you're in the process of defining your own core values as you go through this. Talk me through what that looked like as you have this very regimented schedule and are going through the process of realizing that this is not what you want to be doing. Yeah, great question. Uh, That's actually where I defined my core values was in Saudi Arabia. I read The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, which talks about it in there, creating core values. And then I read First Things First, also by Stephen Covey. Uh, And then that's where I I drafted my core values and my mission statement. And so in my free time, I would go out to the only grassy area that was around and just sit with myself there uh, on the grass, reading and introspectively thinking about who I am and about what I actually want and spent a lot of time creating my core values to which I now live by. I call them compass directions because if you follow your compass directions, it's going to lead you to where you want to go, right? Um, so that was that was really the like the aha like this the life that I'm living now is not in alignment with with who I am and, and where I want to go. So that was once I understood my core value values and what I want. It was a very clear decision. I need to quit and I need to go into business for myself because the Marine Corps was a good example of this too. I am not an employee. I am not going to do what you tell me to do just because you tell me to do it. I need to understand why, the why behind it and the purpose behind it. If I don't agree with the why or the purpose, I'm not going to do it. So I'm not a good employee, right? I'm going to be in business for myself because I understand my why and my purpose, and I'm going to work on those things. So you're coming into a deeper understanding of what it means to be sovereign. Yes. It's 2019 at this point? 2019. 2019, you come back from Saudi Arabia. Where do you find yourself? Back at my parents' house Okay. in Lodi, California. Actually, first I... I yeah, first I came back and spent time with my, uh, at the time, girlfriend's house um, and continued building out my program. I, I had planned to build out a, a three-month program based on a, uh, a business development program that I went through, uh, OCA, Online Coach Accelerator. It's Rachel Bell's program. 
Um, so I had worked on it in Saudi Arabia and then I was finalizing it when I was back in the States. And then um, this was, yeah, in December and then January I was home at my parents' house and then launched the the first program, got my first client in February of 2020. Okay. So February of 2020 was a very interesting time in the world. It hadn't happened yet. I, well... So it was no. happening in China yeah, yeah. at that point. And yeah. we were starting to see the first cases in the U.S. around, I believe it was February, and into March is really when everything ramped up. Yeah. What was your experience of that? I really wasn't affected by it all that much. Because I was now in control of how I made money and I wasn't going to allow any any external circumstance dictate how I was going to live my life. So gym was closed, fine. I'm still going to work out. Like So many people gave the excuse of, oh, gyms are closed. I can't work out. Bullshit. Like, what the fuck? No, I, I kept working out. I kept building my brand. Um, at the beginning, um, I didn't see it as an issue. And then more people who I was listening to, who I trusted, started to 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 portray that this was a bigger deal than I had originally thought. So my intuition told me that this is not a big deal. This is you guys are blowing this way out of proportion. And then the people who I was listening to on podcasts and, you know, different doctors, then, um, then I started to think that maybe this was a bigger issue. And so there was a slight amount of, I don't know if it was fear, but something I was like, okay, maybe, you know, this is bigger than I, than I thought. But even then I, like I recorded a whole podcast on like immunity, like things that you can do to improve your immune system so that this thing wouldn't affect you in the way that it's affecting everybody else. Right? Which is never a part of the collective public health conversation. No, it was all. stay inside, don't connect with anybody, and just live in your dark house, don't go out in the sunlight, wear a mask, and it's like, what the fuck? All things that catalyze fear and make you easier to control. Exactly. Yeah, and I, I, was, I was not about that. There was a very small portion of time to where I started to kind of buy into some of that and then very quickly I realized nope that's all bullshit like the, the fact that it started becoming required to wear masks into places that was like what is happening so for me I wasn't really affected by that because I I was living with my parents and uh, then I, I got a place with my ex now ex and she would, you know, do the grocery shopping or we would get Instacart. So I very rarely left the house for any reason. So I was just working out in my garage gym and, you know, getting groceries delivered. So I was just in my own world building my business and I was completely fine with that. I So everything being closed down didn't really affect me. I could care less. Like I'm doing what I want to do. Um, yeah. So I, I, I wasn't... Again, I wasn't going to let any external circumstance or what anybody says stop me from doing what I wanted 
to do. So you you find your initial clients, you find people who are resonating with your message and your business begins to grow. Slightly. I I just talked about this on Kyle's podcast up until 2 weeks ago, really. I had been doing just like I did in high school, just like I did in the Marine Corps, the bare minimum to get by. In high school, I did the bare minimum to get A's, B's, and C's, you know, often uh, cheating or, you know, copying and just finding ways to, to get it done, to, to play the game good enough. Uh, same thing in the Marine Corps. I would, you know, always do the bare minimum, rarely going above and beyond because I did it out of reluctance. Like, you know, yes, I'm capable of so much more, but you guys are piece of shit. Like, I don't want to do anything for you. Same thing I found in my business. I was doing the bare minimum to make, to have enough money to live a good enough lifestyle, to be comfortable enough. I had enough to buy the things that I wanted to buy, to travel where I wanted to travel. Uh, And the business was was not really growing because it was just the bare minimum. I had I, I was always worried about where my next client was going to come from, uh, like how I'm going to make enough money, and I would push myself up until this limit to where I had no money, and it's like, okay, I have no money, what am I going to do now? And in those moments of stress and pressure, it was like, okay, now I'm going to do the work to make it happen. Like I'm never going to allow myself to to like really fail, right? I I've, I do this with packing, too, packing for a trip. I always pack the morning of like an hour before the flight you know some crazy thing it's like for some reason my brain needs to be in this state of it's an hour never you know get it done it's like okay now pack everything good to go right so same thing in the business i i had let it just kind of coast and doing the bare minimum for my own comfort because i had an aversion to hard work so i knew that i knew what it required to build this bigger business and I was just kind of coasting along, settling for good enough. And the story that I told on Kyle's podcast was I had an employee, uh, my content creator, Dave, who I had con- I had convinced him of this grand vision that I had and that I, I still have. And uh, yeah, this was like last month. So he, him and I moved to my friend slash other employee's house in Minnesota. And the goal of that time was to hustle and grind, even though I don't necessarily like those terms, but sometimes in business, that's what's required to, to get going. And so he was under the assumption that it's going to be go time. Like we're going to show up, we're going to get a ton of shit done, record a bunch of content and get to work to build this brand to, uh, and I told him that I want to conquer the world, um, you know, in a good way, obviously to create this big impact. And I was, I was too caught up in the fun of it, you know, new environment. Um, the, the people who I was living with, they smoke weed all the time. So I would find myself smoking and just kind of enjoying life and, and having fun very much in my feminine going with the flow, doing the bare minimum to get stuff done. Um, And so he noticed that and he didn't say anything at the time. Really, he he kind of brought some stuff up 
Um, but then he left to go back to Germany. And when he left, he sent me a message saying, hey, like I've enjoyed working with you and I, I don't see your vision. Mm-hmm. You say you want to conquer the world. You say you want to, to do all these things. I don't see that. There's no fire. There's no drive. There's no structure in what you're doing. Uh, and so I'm not going to settle for that. Like I want to build something great. I was like, fuck. Like, first, it was like a hit to the ego. Like I say I'm the captain. I'm, I'm doing all these things. I'm building my brand. But he, he fucking slapped me in the face. He's like, no, you're not, motherfucker. Like you're not. That's a real friend. Yes. Yes, and I'm so fucking grateful for him because instead of getting defensive, which I would have done in the past, I was like, you know what? You're fucking right. You're absolutely right. Um, thank you for calling me out. And things are, are going to be different now because what I noticed is when he left, I was I was pushing a lot of the work and expectations onto him. Okay, I I expected him to see my vision and for him to just create things and run with it, Right which of course is not how it works. Me as a CEO of myself and my brand, the captain, right? I have to be the visionary. I have to be the leader. I have to create the structure. And I was kind of uh, putting that off on him. And so when he left, it was like, okay, this is now all on me. And I was now in that point of pressure like the packing situation, it's like it's now or never. Like you're either going to do this or you're not. And not doing it is never an option for me. Like I'm, I'm going to achieve what I want to achieve. And so I, I, I started understanding the work that was required, pulled a, a couple like 2 a.m. nights, like before the immersion, which is my in-person event, finalizing the things that I wanted to present. Um, so I got that all done. It felt good to do the work. I, I felt accomplished. Like I fucking created this, right? Um, you know, stayed up editing, which is something that I didn't, enjoy doing but I, I found fulfillment in it in creating this art of like a, a YouTube video for example it's like okay so this is the work that's required and so I just had a call with him yesterday uh, because I I I need him on my team if I want to accomplish these things I need a content creator to help me with this um, and so he he said, yeah, I, I don't want to work with you. I don't see the vision. And I was like, let's hop on a call. Things are different now. So I told him, I was like, you're absolutely right. I was not the leader that you need me to be. Uh, I was not driven. I didn't have that fire. And things are different now. You called me the fuck out. Thank you for that. And I would love to have you on the team. You're a fucking rock star. You understand uh, the work that it's going to take. Like, let's work together. Thankfully, after this conversation, he saw this, you know, fire in me again. Like, let's fucking go. And now we are uh, working together. And uh, this is still the bare beginning in, in what it is that I'm creating. As coaches, I find it's a constant process of embodying our own message. Yep. Yep. That the more that we learn where our blind spots are in how we you know engage with people embodying our message the more we get to ground into who we are how we communicate most effectively and how we serve in our mission and i believe that communities like this the relationships that we have and the true friendship and collaboration that we build in these communities that is one of the reasons that 
it is so important to be in communities like this because it allows true and honest direct reflection amongst each other that you know shows me where i have the opportunity to show up more embodied and grounded in who i am and the message that i bring to people <laughs> yes um coming here to the enlifted lake house was has been is currently we're still here been a uh, a profound experience for me just getting everybody who is who does have that fire and that drive and is creating what they want this has just further solidified the wake up call that Dave provided for me it's like okay you say you want to work and you want to build this fucking do it action dispels overwhelm right so yeah. I was overwhelmed like how am I going to get all this done? Okay, take action. What what can I do right now? And I'm seeing everybody here doing this. Like this, the, the lake house is a good combination. It's like a yin yang. There's play, there's work. We had play on Saturday night. It was all play for me. I just allowed myself to have that night to just release, like do whatever I wanted. And then now uh, I'm getting more into, okay, play is fun. I want to fucking work, right? So it, it's cool to see other like Mike's out there grinding on creating what, what he's doing uh, and seeing everybody else starting to put the effort into creating what they want to create is is cool to see. Yeah, Sammy as well. We, we've had some conversations on on that. Let's go get yeah. creative. Yeah. I would like to come back to the presence that you have on social media has been empowering for me to see the resistance that you have had to the powers that be in wearing masks, in being a voice against getting vaccinated, and all of these things that I have been coming into my awareness of, coming out of, being in the public health world, working for FEMA, the Department of Homeland Security, and seeing how vocal you are about that. Talk me through some of the experiences that you had in even getting locked up, for example, for for resisting. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not I'm not against getting vaccinated or wearing a mask. I am against the mandate of it if you want to wear a mask if you want to put this substance into your body go for it you're going to have to deal with the consequences of that i'm pro choice i i am pro sovereignty pro freedom do what you want to do as long as it does not harm uh another person or somebody's property right that's the only universal law do no harm right so the fact that these things are being forced, I don't want to say forced upon, but that they are being strongly encouraged. There's because, a level of coercion. Yeah, there is, and manipulation. Um, like, if you don't do this, you can no longer have this job. If you don't do this, you can't come into this store. If you don't do this, so for me, when I was arrested for not wearing a mask, they wouldn't let me have my one phone call because I wouldn't wear a mask. They wouldn't let me have a bed 
I had to stay in the the holding center, which was just you know concrete floor and a toilet because I wouldn't wear a mask. So these what should be basic human rights were taken away from me because I wouldn't put on this muzzle, right? So the the story of me getting arrested uh, in the airport for not wearing a mask is I was in Austin, Texas, and uh, I forget the specific like circumstance why I was in Austin. Um, I've had a lot of experiences on planes and, and masks, getting kicked off of planes, having sheriffs waiting for me uh, at the end of a flight, um, and nothing ever happened. You know, I would just walk past the sheriff because I didn't do anything wrong, and most of the time they didn't want to deal with it either, right? So uh, this one time, the day before, I had a flight to Las Vegas to go to a biohacking conference, and... I wanted to push the boundaries because up until this point, I would put the mask on going through security and then again while boarding the plane. This time, I wanted to test it. I wanted to see because I I saw Ian Smith Fitness is his Instagram handle. I saw him traveling with no mask. He would go through security, uh, you know, past the gate with no mask. At least that's what he said. So I was like, okay, well, let's see if if I can do this. So I attempted to, to get past TSA with no mask. And then they, they said no, they brought down like the head security and they, they issued me a, like a, a trespassing warning. I, I forget what they called it, but they were like, if you come back without a mask, then uh, you could be arrested. I was like, okay, whatever. So I came back the next day with a new flight, uh, this time uh, to go to Minnesota or, or something. Um, because I had missed the, the conference. Um, so I was like, okay, I will comply to the extent to which I, I need to get past security. So I put the mask on to get past security. And then I, I'm waiting in line to get on my flight. No mask, of course. And I see this guy eyeing me who's standing by the, the, the gate. And I was like, oh, here we go. And he walks up to me. He's like, are you Taylor Morgan? I was like, shit. I was like, Yes. And at this point, I, I wasn't aware of, um, you know, I, I've been listening to a lot of uh, Jesse Elder's work and sovereignty and freedom and what to say in these situations so you, that you don't buy into the contract, right? Um, and I'm still learning these things. But at the time, I, I had no knowledge of this. So I said, yes, I'm Taylor Morgan. And then they said, okay, well, you have this warning that says if you're not wearing a mask that, you know, you could be arrested. I forget how they phrased it. And so then um, they were like, are you going to wear the mask? And I said, no. And then they said, okay, well, the captain is the captain of the plane, not... Right. Yeah, I, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I am the captain. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the captain is uncomfortable having you on the flight. And I said, okay, let me talk to the captain. I would like to speak with him. Of course, they wouldn't let me talk with him. So who knows if the captain actually said this or if they're just making this up. Uh, so I was like, okay, well, no, I'm not going to wear it. And so then... the. They canceled my ticket to the flight. So now I have no ticket. Uh, and then they brought the, the airport cops over, so the actual police. And uh, the police were trying to escort me out of the airport for trespassing because I was no longer a ticketed passenger in the airport because they just canceled my ticket. I was like, okay, well, uh, can I just sit here and rebook another flight? And they said, no, you can do that on the other side. I was like, okay, well, what happens if I just sit here and do it? 
And he said, then we're going to put you under arrest. And I said, you're going to arrest me for not wearing a mask. And he said, you're, you're trespassing here, whatever the conversation was. I was like, okay, well, let, let's do it. Arrest me. And so uh, I recorded this. They arrested me um, and took me to the Austin jail where I spent like 30 hours, I think, in jail. Uh, and then I was let out on bail with a, um, uh, it was a thousand dollar bail for criminal trespassing, which, um, yeah, I'll, I'll just say it. Like I didn't pay, I'm not going to pay. They're not getting anything because I didn't do anything wrong. There was no victim. There was no injured party. Uh, there was no damage of property. So there was no crime, right? Um, and a lot of people tell me they're like, yeah, I, I get the whole freedom thing, but there there comes a point to where you just got to comply, you know, to, to, to do what you want. I, no, no. Like, if you want to do that, fine. But I'm a free man and I'm going to do and stand up for what I believe in. So I don't believe that masks or anything for that matter should be mandated. So if if I have to be the, the martyr or whatever, who keeps getting arrested and who, who like the, the government or whatever is going to make a point out of me. Like, if you want to go against our mandate, you're going to be arrested and this is what's going to happen, then so be it. That's what's going to happen. Um, I, I, will, I will do that because I believe so, so wholeheartedly that we are not meant to be controlled in that way right so i have no problem getting arrested again if if that be the case you know for expressing my my freedom and to make it clear they're they're not mandating that you wear an n95 mask that you know, is used in surgery for suppressing communicable diseases. They're they're just all right. Put a piece of cloth over your face. <laughs> for me, what I see this as is slowly turning up the temperature of the water. Seeing what they can in. get away with. And as they expand that, what they're able to get away with, they're slowly chipping away at our fundamental human rights. Yeah, so that's the problem. The more that we comply and follow along with these mandates, the more that we're going to relinquish our power. Because once they have the power, they're not going to let it go. So once they can see what they can get away with, they're going to hold on to that. And so, yeah, I, I and, and this is, so I, I believe that all rules are, are made up. Besides the do no harm, you know, I walk into stores shoeless, shirtless. Sometimes the store owner comes up and says, you have to wear shoes in here and a shirt. I said, why? Why? Why do I have to? And they have no reason behind it. There's, um, and a lot of people are are taken aback by like they don't know what to do in that situation because that's never happened before. A lot of people they don't even question why they're doing something. They don't. They don't know why um so i've asked people this question i went to the the minnesota state fair with like a group of 
seven other of my friends who were all, you know, tan, jacked, tall, you know, handsome. And, and we were walking around in a group all shirtless, like, and it was a sight to see for, for people. And then I would ask some people, like, why are you wearing a shirt right now? And then they would be like, well, because we have to. And it's like, why? why? Why do you have to wear a shirt? Why can't you enjoy the sun right now and, and get sunlight on your skin? And they would have no answer for that. So I'm not saying that you that you shouldn't wear a shirt, right? I'm, I'm saying to understand why you are doing something. If you don't know why that you are uh, putting on a mask, if you know that you're doing it just because it's a rule that you don't necessarily agree with, why are you following that? You know? What, what role have psychedelics played in your relationship with questioning reality? Last Saturday, mm. we both had the opportunity to sit in, I will call it ceremony, because it was that for me. In Traditionally, I use psychedelics to go inward. And this was an opportunity for me to be in an intense situation among a big group of people who were all exchanging communicating verbally and also energetically and it was 100% a ceremony and I'm curious what level of processing psychedelics have supported you in that journey of expanding your willingness to question reality yeah I'm still not entirely sure I, I still I find myself being called to experience a very very high dose of mushrooms um, to really be in the unknown and the uncontrollable. I have not yet experienced that in a, uh, a facilitated sense. I, I had an experience where I was uh, out of control at EDC, uh, but that was like a party sense, so that was completely different. Um, so what I've experienced currently is that there, there is no one reality, right? There, there is, and I, yeah, I don't even, I don't think I've had enough psychedelic experiences to really talk about it, but there are possibilities out there and experiences that people who have not consumed psychedelics can't even fathom. Like there's a whole new world out there. I like um, what you and Ryan Sprague say that on psychedelics, you're able to peek through the veil of reality to see what else is possible. And I, most of the people I imagine who I've interacted with have not had that sort of psychedelic experience. So they're taking everything at face value and like, this is just the way that it is, but it, it doesn't have to be that way. Um, so I don't think that entirely answered your question. It does. Based on the relationship that you've built with psychedelics to this point, it 100% answers my question. And I would like to shift to hearing, you mentioned conquering the world. I'm curious what that world looks like that you envision once you have conquered. You see yourself in this space of whatever success means to you, what does that look like and what role do you fill in it? Yeah, I, I love this. What that looks like for me is 
thriving. My purpose is to hashtag make thriving standard. So you will see this on uh, all of my Instagram posts. You know, I end it with together when we dot, 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 whatever it is, when we come together, when we play with life, when we accept ourselves, whatever, we will make thriving standard. So what that means is freedom in three different categories, physical freedom, emotional freedom, and financial freedom. So physical freedom is being able to do whatever it is you want to do physically, whether that's go jet skiing or climb a mountain or simply play with your kids without getting winded. As a, uh, as a man and anybody really, you should be able to physically do whatever you want to do. The other aspect of that is you, sh- you should be able to physically protect yourself. Uh, and then emotional freedom is not being the victim, is being the captain of your own life, controlling your emotions based on the story that you're telling yourself and not believing and attaching to the inner critic or that voice that's in your head and instead looking at it from a third party and observing your thoughts and then deciding whether or not you want to believe that or whether or not or not you want to choose something different or create a new path and not not being the victim of circumstance not being the victim of whatever mandate, like do what you want to do as long as it doesn't harm anybody, right? And financial freedom is having the amount of money or, um, you know, materials, resources to build what you want to build, to create the impact that you want to have, to not, you know, be worried about where your next paycheck is going to come from and to be able to give, essentially. I want to become a multimillionaire so that I can give as much as possible, so I can help my friends become millionaires. I told Dave that the on that conversation that we had, I was like, I want to make you a fucking millionaire so that you can then spread your gift to the world. And you know, so currently in the way that things are run, we need money and influence to make an impact. So to answer your other question of the role that I want to play in it, I want to be famous. I will be famous because if I can become famous, I know that I can influence other people to live the captain's lifestyle. So I am going to be that forward facing in front of the camera, you know, character that is inspiring other people to live their lives, live their lives, become the captain of their lives in a healthy, fulfilling, and impactful way. So the things that I stand for, like holistic health, taking that into your own hands, being like waking up feeling good every day, throughout your day, Uh, living for impact, like not being selfish. Like if your own needs are met, fine. What are you doing to help other people? Going back to what I learned in the, the scout sniper thing, like it's not about me, it's not about you, it's about what you can do and then how you can bring others up with you, right? So, uh, and then also caring for the environment. Like humans are the only animal who are actively destroying their environment through plastic pollution and, and all these things. So uh, when I become this larger influence to help other people see that you can thrive and not just survive through life, um, that that that's the the way 
from my experience to live. Like, why would you not want to be healthy, happy, productive, making a positive impact, helping other people feel good and elevating them? It's, it's a beautiful vision that you have. How does your program bring that to people in a concrete way? And who is it that you serve? Yeah, so I've got uh, three, three different offers, essentially. I've got the captain's crew, which is my private online men's community. We meet once a week, uh, hop on a coaching and accountability call, and we host monthly masterminds, which I mentioned to you on our podcast that I'd like to have you facilitate a breathwork session as one of the, the masterminds. Um, so that's a really good community crew of men who who know that there's something who know that there's something missing in their lives. And then once they are on the calls and they see other men be vulnerable and share their struggles, what they're stuck on and their experiences, they then are granted the permission to be vulnerable and admit that they are not where they want to be. And we then help, uh, help them, uh, move toward what they actually do want. So we get them unstuck. We celebrate how far they've come. We set goals for the future. Then the program is, it has been a three-month program. It will be a four-month program of essentially helping men become the captains of their own lives, not being the victim of creating what they want for themselves and uh, creating a bigger impact. Uh, So throughout the course of the four months, we walk them through the eight uh, spokes of the Wheel of Lifestyle Optimization, which is my my logo right here each of the 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 spokes on here corresponds to a a pillar of of lifestyle optimization and the program teaches you how to balance all of those things properly so you can steer your ship to where it is that you want to go the main component of that that sets my program apart from everybody else's is what we do the whole first month is constructing your mvvp your mission vision values and purpose so the values, I call those your compass directions, right? Lead you to where you want to go. Your mission statement, I call your treasure map. Because once you understand what you want, you follow your treasure map, boom, that's that's where you go, right? Uh, so understanding that and then helping them get there through holistic living, helping their brain turn on so they don't deal with brain fog anymore and you know, motivation is not an issue and they rely on discipline instead on doing the things that they know they need to do. Uh, and then there's the immersion. My goal for the immersion, which is my in-person event, is for it to be a culmination, sort of a, a rite of passage. Like you go through the program, all right, now it's time to put it to the test. Like take ice baths, do sauna, breath work, meditation, story work. And then after the immersion, it's like your graduation. You have now become the captain of your own life. Take your gifts of being yourself and then give that to the world. So you just had your very first immersion that you led. How was that experience for you? Planning it, leading it, and now integrating that into how you will lead the next one. Yeah, planning it. um, There was really not a lot of planning going into it. I had this idea. I want to do this in-person event. And then I kind of just take out the kind of, I winged it. Because at this point, I was doing the bare minimum to get by. I was doing just enough to make sure that it happened. And then when Dave left, uh, this is when I was creating the captain's code, 
which we can talk about. This is the the freebie that that I give out to get people into the the lifestyle. Um, I put that on him to create the Captain's Code, which is all about you know me and my brand. How can somebody else create that? So when he left, that was one of the nights that I stayed up super late the day before the immersion, actually creating the code so that I could then present it. Um, so yeah, there was little planning going into it, and I knew it was going to be something big. I didn't anticipate it being as transformational as it was. There were so many, everybody who attended had a major breakthrough and transformation. And after seeing that with the minimal amount of planning that went into it, I was like, holy shit, this is going to be huge. Because I allowed myself in the moments of running around, trying to make sure everything was running smoothly, I allowed myself some time to just sit back and witness and observe the experience that I had created and was facilitating for these men. I was like, this is it. There needs to be a lot more planning going into this. Uh, And yeah, it was just cool for the minimal planning that went into it. It turned out phenomenal. Yeah, so many breakthroughs that, that we get into from that if you wanted to. But um, it, from that moment on, I was like, yeah, I, I got to put in the work because this is what men need right now. These in-person events, forming this connection and brotherhood through struggle, through challenge, through it, it was most of the guys first time in the ice bath, let alone submerged under the ice bath, breathing through a bamboo straw. Uh, and then the, the story work, like getting vulnerable and having other you know men see that hey we're all struggling with something and it's okay to be vulnerable around other safe men like we're not going to make fun of you in fact quite the opposite we're going to support you and bring you in you're not weak for sharing these things the opposite you're strong because the only way to actually move forward is to admit that you're struggling with something and to ask for help mm-hmm no man is an island. You can't do this alone. So that's what the crew and the whole Captain's Lifestyle community is doing. I'll, I'll propose a, a subtle language shift that Please. I tend to take on. You said, I've got to put in the work. I, I, get, I get to. To put in the work. And knowing that this is how my first one went. Seeing the impact that it has. What is the potential? When I get to put in the work, when I do put in the work, when I realize what that work looks like in round two, which will be another iteration of figuring out what putting in the work looks like. Yeah. What is the impact that that has? And then what do I learn from that? That I get to look at what getting to put the work in looks for round three. And how does it grow? How does it metamorphosize? Yeah. So I thought... I knew the impact of this first one. And I knew it was going to be big. And still... It was was better than I even imagined. So now when you ask me this question... I have this image of what... I imagine that it could be 
And there's still this part, it's like, well, you don't actually know how big of an impact this could have. So I've been talking about this with Sammy and Mark here, like the, we are now at the drop in the ocean and we, everybody here is creating a positive ripple effect that humanity is going to experience that will soon turn into a tsunami. So we were at the drop, like this lake house here, it's, and the lifted program and what we're all doing, it's, it's the drop, we're creating the ripple, it's gonna turn into a tsunami when we keep going. The impact of that is a completely new world. Like, it, it's, I, I can start to imagine what that's gonna be, but really, like, when we keep going, it's it's completely different. The joy is in the unknown. Yeah. Yeah. So Chase, or no, Dave presented this on day three of the immersion. He asked the question, what if you keep going? He presented this to the group and uh, it, this hit Leo, Leo Savage hard. He was like, oh, what if I keep going? What if I keep embodying and, and being Leo Savage? What if I keep going with Steel Mace Flow, which has been profoundly beneficial for so many people moving that way and there's a spiritual component to it he he's beautiful at creating this you know art form and expressing yourself through movement so he was like something clicked in him what if i keep going same thing for me what if i keep living the captain's lifestyle and that to me is is so inspiring because Again, I can picture it, but really, I, I don't know the impact. It's exciting going into the unknown. So what if I keep going? Uh, it's it's going to change a lot of people's lives for the better. Just based on the first immersion and seeing the literal complete 180 of how people were pre-immersion to post-immersion is incredible. So it's just going to be that at scale. Yeah. It's exciting. <laughs> Fucking it right, man. Would love to hear you talk about the captain's code. Break it down based on how you have integrated it into your life. Yeah. So this is a, a relatively new thing. The captain's code are the basic articles by which you should live if you want to live the captain's lifestyle and become the captain of your own life. And again, I want to make this clear. This is not about becoming me or living my lifestyle. This is about you becoming the captain of your own life and doing whatever it is you want to do, creating your impact. The code are the basic articles to re revert back to. These are the basic uh, places to start for holistic health and finding your purpose. So each letter of the code corresponds with a, a you know pillar of of lifestyle optimization. So the the C is cold exposure, the A is affirmations, the P is play with life, the A is accept the uncontrollable, the I is inspire others, the N is nasal breathing, the S is sun exposure, the uh, C is connect with the earth and with other people, the O is observe, your thoughts, language, and actions. The D is delegate tasks to other people because 
we can't do it all ourselves. And the E is eat real food. So anytime you feel stuck, revert back to the code. Which one of these am I out of balance with? During the pandemic, when everybody's stuck inside, a lot of people were missing the C, the connection with Mother Earth, which is extremely anti-inflammatory and stress relieving, and also the connection with other people. And with the sun. Exactly. With the, the sun. Yeah. So really, I think the code is is the, the, the key to unlocking your potential. Once you can understand how to balance all of the articles of the code, that's really the starting point, right? Yeah. So th- that's how it is and how it fits in is the code is, is what draws people in. That's why it's, it's free. Like I could charge for this and I didn't because a lot of people who are coming into the self-development world, they don't yet see the value in investing in themselves. Another way of saying that is they don't see the value in themselves. So by giving something for free and having them start to in- incorporate some of these things, they then start to notice, oh, wow, I feel really good when I invest in myself, when I take care of my body. Okay, maybe I am worth investing in, right? So then that leads into you know the crew to joining a community of like-minded men who support you. There, you know, no toxic masculinity. There's no uh, competition like I'm better than you. Competition is still is still good in a healthy way, right? It's but there's no attachments to outcome, right? It's you doing your best, not you trying to beat somebody else's best, right? So coming into the the captain's code, joining the crew, really understanding what it's like to to have a tribe we're, we're missing the tribe in the aspect. healed masculine i see that competition comes alongside an equal amount of vulnerability mm. and that is where the healing comes in where we test our own internal limits and be seen in those mm. to improve on our personal best yes yeah, and in that sense, it becomes collaboration. Yeah. You're using competition with others to ultimately collaborate with them so you can improve yourself. And then so then you can go and give your gift to the world in an even greater sense. It hits me right in, in the heart. Where can people find the Captain's Code broken down in further detail? Where can they find you? Where would you like to direct the audience? Yeah, on uh, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, at Captain underscore Taylor underscore Morgan. You will find the link to the code in you know my bio there. It's, it's the first one. Download the code. Uh, and then my podcast, the Captain's Lifestyle Podcast, which is featuring you. Uh, so that's a fantastic episode. I highly recommend you guys listen to that. Uh, so th- those are the places. Uh, Captain Taylor Morgan on social and the Captain's Lifestyle Podcast. Any final message, parting words for the audience that you would like to leave? Yes. Look at the people who you are taking advice from. If if somebody is giving you advice and they are not where you want to be, if they have not accomplished what you want to accomplish, if they are giving you health advice but they are not healthy or happy. 
if they're giving you relational advice, but they are, you can see the conflict in their relationship. If they're giving you business advice, which I had done in the past, and I didn't have a successful business, right? Because I was doing the bare minimum. Don't listen to that person. Listen to the people who have already achieved what you want to accomplish. Same thing goes the opposite way. Do not take criticism from people who have not achieved or accomplished what you want to accomplish. Because nobody who has achieved that state or that goal, whatever, will criticize you because they understand what it takes, right? So be cautious of who you're listening to, where you're spending your time, energy, and attention. Agreed. Yeah. I love you, brother. I am so grateful for the opportunity to see you and to connect with you and to see how you show up in this community and in this environment and I'm excited to co-create with you mm. in the future and to to know you at this point from here on out and this is only the beginning sending so much love to all of you out there and wishing you all a beautiful connective peaceful journey